0: You're listening to a sermon from Pascoval Church of Christ. To hear more of our teaching or to find out about the church, please visit our website, pvcc.org.au. Um, today we're going to uh, look forward a little bit at the year ahead. Because um, when often when we think about the new year, we um, think about uh, opportunities to seize. Uh, we look forward to leaving behind the, the struggles and disappointments of 2023. And we have optimism that 2024 will be a happier and more joyful year. Um, So let's talk about it. Um, What will make 2024 a better year for you than 2023? What will make 2024 better than 2023? I want to give you guys a few moments to discuss this. So turn to the person next to you and ask them this question. What will make 2024 better than 2023? I'll give you a few moments to do that now. All right, I'll bring you guys uh, back. Uh, Sorry, I haven't given you very long, but um, try and keep your answers in mind as we go through today. Um, But now I want to turn your attention to how Paul started our passage today. Um, In verse 1, he says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, Now, how can Paul command joy, right? How can you command someone to be happy or joyful? Um, The reason Paul commands joy is because there are enemies threatening to steal your joy. Um, At the end of the passage in in chapter 4 verse 1, the command is, therefore, stand firm, protect your joy. Um, In this passage, Paul will identify things that could rob us of our joy in 2024. Um, Because as much as we uh, look forward to the year and as much as we want to seize the day, take the opportunities, it's as important to be aware of the threats. Um, As Paul writes this uh, letter to this church in Philippi, he gives them a personal insight into his joy. Um, That's what this letter is about. It's a pursuit of joy. Paul mentions joy 16 times in this short letter. Um, And here, as he comes towards the end of his letter, he commands you, keep your eyes fixed on the goal ahead. Don't get distracted by lesser joys. Um, So today, Paul will outline three enemies of joy that we need to guard against in 2024. Um, And the first enemy of joy is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. In verse 2, Paul says three times... To look out. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's sobering us to the dangers that await. In the church, there were people who were insisting that as you become a Christian, you must be circumcised. Um, To them, salvation wasn't just about faith in Jesus alone. It was about keeping the entire Jewish law that maintained your relationship with God. Um, these people relying on their self-righteousness, their, their spiritual performance for their standing with God. Um, now, on the surface, it, it doesn't seem that bad, right? I mean, they're not killing anyone. They're, they're good. They're moral people. Some might have been leaders in the church. But here Paul calls them evildoers and Dogs. It shows how seriously Paul takes this threat of self-righteousness in our lives and in our community. Um, There are two ways you can turn your back on God. One is through rebelling against God and His Word. You can pursue irreligion. You can ignore God altogether. You go your own way. Um, The other way is much more subtle. It's rejecting God by pursuing religion. By trying to use your moral performance to earn God's favor. And it's this second way that's far more subtle. Because on the outside, it it presents as a good moral life. But fundamentally, it's the same. It's it's going your own way apart from God's way. Uh, One way to pursue self-righteousness is through ritual. Um, Your self-righteousness might come through this ritual of circumcision... It could come through the ritual of coming to church, or how much you pray, or how much you give. Of course, these are good and important practices to cultivate, but where our relationship with God is defined by our church attendance or by our spiritual disciplines, we are pursuing religion rather than Christ. Um, Another way is through service. Um, Maybe you can look at your service, your your leadership and your ministry, and actually it's those things that bring you self-worth. Maybe you're more passionate about being used by God rather than being known by God. Um, Another way is through knowledge. Maybe your relationship with God is characterized by knowing things about God rather than being known by God. Uh, Maybe you love doctrine, you love good teaching, which is great, but where we're defined by our theology, over and above our faith in Christ, we actually risk throwing away the faith we're seeking to protect. And the danger is, from the outside, these are people who might be active in the church, They're, they're doing things with God, they know all the right answers, but the danger is that as soon as you let these things define your relationship with God on top of faith alone, you lose the gospel. You have become your own saviour. This is the paradox of the gospel, that when you add anything to grace, you lose it. But when you trust in the person and work of Jesus alone, you gain everything. Uh, Where your Christianity is, is beginning to feel more like an adherence to rules or simply a, a checklist of duties and obligations, your joy in Christ will decrease. Um, instead, Paul says, We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God, which which means as soon as you believe in Jesus, you are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's your sign of belonging. It's not circumcision. It's, it's not your church attendance or your morality. It's the spirit that's given to you as a gift. Um, since since self righteousness is rooted in human efforts and achievement, it often manifests through pride and comparison, uh, where we look at others and we compare our performance and our achievement against theirs. Um, you can compare downwards which leads to uh, judgmentalism and superiority or we can compare upwards which can lead to feelings of inadequacy and envy but in both directions actually both these comparisons turn yourself inwards and rob you of joy. Now of course it's, it's hard for us to not compare with others because I don't know about you but so much of our upbringings have been wired to constantly compare. Uh, maybe you grew up in a family uh, where you were constantly compared to your siblings or other family members. Uh, it's why I love being an only child. I was simultaneously the best and the worst at everything that I did in my parents' eyes. Um, or maybe during your schooling you were constantly compared with others there. Um, I remember um, in, in high school from year 7 to year 12 Uh, my school ranked every student by their academic grades from number one to number 380. Can you imagine that? Every year you get a number from number one to 380. But here in, in, in verse three, Paul says, no, you've got to stop all the comparisons altogether. Why? Because we who are circumcised by the Spirit put no confidence in the flesh. But Paul says, verse 4, if you do want to compare, I'm so much better than you. Um, To these self-righteous people who who prided themselves on keeping the law, Paul says, I did it better. Verse 5, circumcised on the eighth day, the very day commanded by the law. Paul was the purebred Jew from the tribe of Benjamin. Um, As far as keeping of the law, Paul was a Pharisee. Everything was done meticulously down to the detail. Paul says here, I'm smarter, holier, better than you'll ever be. But even with all these credentials, Paul's point of comparison is not to others, it's to Jesus. As Paul looks at his resume, he counts everything loss. All the good things of life, all the things that he might that might give him confidence and define his identity, he counts as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, his Lord. That's where his joy is. Uh, Paul here, he looks at all his achievements. He counts them loss. He even counts them as poo. Uh, That's literally the word uh, Paul uses for rubbish, poo. Sorry, there's no slide for this. Don't worry. But why the strong language here, right? Because, you see, when you compare your righteousness to Christ's righteousness that's given to you, they are as poo in comparison. You see, Christ, the, the sinless Son of God, who's, who's lived the perfect life we could not live, who, get, who gave you His blood to atone for your sin. I mean, imagine standing before this God who's given you everything and saying to Him, God, look at all this stuff I've done for you. Look at how good it is. No, only the gospel alone can make you simultaneously joyful and humble at the same time. Um, Joyful and confident because you carry the righteousness of Jesus. That as God looks at you, he sees you with the approval and delight that he sees his own son. Uh, But also humble, uh, knowing that, None of this righteousness came from you. None of it was your own. Um, so next year, be, be, beware of this subtle enemy of self-righteousness that will steal your joy. Um, second, beware of the enemy of complacency. Um, there's a saying that the, the more you learn, the more you realize how little you know. Um, and it's the same with Christian maturity. The more you grow the more you realize how sinful you are. Um, Here, even as Paul counts his own goodness as loss, even as he enjoys the privilege of sharing the righteousness of Jesus, it must not lead to complacency. Um, In verse 12, Paul says, Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on To make it my own. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Remember who's speaking. This is Paul who who by this stage has won many converts to Jesus. He's planted churches. He's, He's suffered greatly for the gospel. If anyone could rest on their laurels or on their achievements, it's him. But here he says, I'm nowhere close to where I want to be. He's nowhere near the man he wants to be. Often the most godly people are the ones who are most grieved and broken by their own sin. That's how you tell who are the growing Christians. Because even as Paul comes to the the end of his life in 1 Timothy, he says he is the worst of sinners. You know, in our minds, we often think the most godly people are the ones that just have it all together. Uh, they appear, life for them appears to be smooth and untroubled. There's never much turmoil or difficulty. But the truth is, actually, this process of sanctification, becoming like Jesus, it's painful, right? When you're, when you're confronting your sin, when you're putting it to death, it's not a comfortable, it's not a pleasant process. It involves painful self-examination. I've been a Christian now for about 17 years. And, and after 17 years, I thought, man, I, I thought I should be way more godly and mature than I am right now. But, but just because you've been a Christian for a while doesn't mean you're mature. Because maturity isn't marked by tenure, but by pressing on in our pursuit of Jesus. Jesus. Um, I know for many of you here that as you reflect on 2023, you will see a lot of progress in your spiritual growth. I've seen it. Uh, Maybe you're really encouraged that as you look back, you became more like Jesus. You, You served at church with greater passion. You loved his people with a greater measure. But it's interesting this mindset Paul has. He says, verse 13, One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind straining forward to what lies ahead. And I think here, it's actually less about forgetting the bad things that have happened, like the, the failures and the disappointments. It's more about the good things, like the achievements and success. So Paul says, guard against complacency. Beware of resting on your achievements. I remember someone um, saying to me, you know, Devin, at a certain age, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Um, They believed that they were just too old to change. Uh, They were a bit too stuck in their ways and aging only kind of made them more stubborn and fixed. But but that's not what Paul says. Paul says, press on. The finish line's in sight. The joy is still ahead of you. Don't give up now. And and so the trajectory of our lives isn't that as we grow older we get more grumpy or more fixed in our ways. No, do we have such a low view of the spirit. We are the redeemed people of God that are being renewed into the image of Christ daily by the power of his spirit. And so our goal is that as we age each year we would become more kind, more gentle, more humble. Um, Often in in life and and ministry, we we like to reminisce of the glory days. Uh, These days of the past where we might have led and served and actively been a part of ministries back in the day. But but, but often it's as we reminisce about these good old days of the past that we forget there's urgent work to be done now. So Paul says, you've got to leave these things behind leave behind the the successes of the past, these things that might tempt you to complacency now. Uh, The temptation for us as a church is that we just constantly look back on our history, that we've been around for 158 years, Uh, We've sent out 88 global missions partners. We've given over $14 million to missions. We've, We've planted two churches. We've started a Mandarin and Japanese service. The temptation is we look back at all these successes and we forget the vision and mission that God has set before us today. No, we need to realize we aren't even close to the church God wants us to be. And so in 2024, we press on, we strain forward together to what lies ahead. Um, in, in verse 14, the, the picture of the Christian life Paul gives is a race um, with a goal and a prize. Um, at the Melania Marathon in Spain a, f- a few years ago, um, the Kenyan runner, Elliot Kibet, he was on track for a, a silver medal um, before exhaustion just came in and his body gave way. And after two hours and ten minutes, just meters from the finish line, he collapsed. Um, he tried. He, Kibet said he, he tried to get back onto his feet, but his legs just couldn't take it. He, he literally couldn't get back on his feet. Um, but as he tried to get back on his feet, he was, he was passed for the silver medal um, and then for the bronze medal. And, and, and in that moment, he could have thought, you know, what's the point? I'm not even going to be on the podium. Um, and look at how far I've come. I've been running for two hours, 42 kilometers. That, that'll be enough for today. That would be totally reasonable. But no, Elliot Kibet, all he could think about was the finish line. And so he, he crawled. He, he kept crawling towards the finish line. He eventually finished fourth. For Kibet, the, the goal in front of him was the only thing that mattered. It didn't matter what place he finished so long as he could finish the race. Because more important than how we start the Christian life is how we finish the Christian life. Here Paul says, enjoying your accomplishments now cannot compare to the future joy that awaits you. Now we're only midway through the race and there's a prize that awaits us all. And when we do this in verse 12, because Jesus has made us his own. And so I hope you can see joy comes from resting in the righteousness of Christ. We belong to Jesus. That then motivates to press on to know and enjoy Christ with greater measure. Um, As we look forward to the next year, Paul will identify one final enemy of joy that, that will bring him to tears. The enemy of worldliness. Uh, verse 18 For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Look at how they're described here. Their, their end is their destruction, their their God is their belly, they glory in their shame, with their mind set on earthly things. Um, The author, Jerry Bridges, he he defines worldliness as being attached to, engrossed in, preoccupied with the things of this temporal life. And that's exactly what's happening here. Though they might be participating in the life of the church, in reality, their true God is their worldly desires. Um, The stomach here... um, is this place of desire and appetite. So it could include immorality of any kind. It's it's more than just liking food too much. Um, But Paul here, he describes worldliness as an inordinate desire for anything of this world, Uh, whether it's food or relationships, whether it's sex or wealth or possessions. Um, We live in a country where we have so many choices, uh, we might choose where to live, uh, where to study, what, what job to take, who to marry. We, we have all these endless choices that can actually divert our affections away from Jesus and to the world. Um, and I think so much of our preoccupation with the world comes from this term, phobo. Have you heard it before? Is this what, what, what kids use nowadays? <laughs> no, they don't. Okay, sorry, this is my thing. <laughs> But, but you see, it's not just a fear of missing out like FOMO. It's a fear of better options. It's always looking back. We, we have so many options that choosing one option means missing out on all these other things. I, I mean, isn't that how social media works? I never realized how badly I needed something, how deprived I was in life, uh, until, I, uh, until I saw someone else enjoying something or having what I didn't have. But the challenge here is that some of these things the world would celebrate, maybe even these things we might envy in others, these things we long for and desire, Paul would weep over. He calls these people not just lacking focus or getting carried away, but enemies of the cross of Christ. Because though they've gained the world, They've lost their greatest treasure. They've, they've, they've exchanged the surpassing worth of Jesus for lesser joys. And the danger here for us, we might not realize, but in every way, your life next year might be so good. Life might be so comfortable for you, and that will be the threat to your joy. The threat for you next year might be that life is filled with getting good grades at school, at uni getting a promotion at work, traveling overseas, planning a wedding, enjoying a retirement. Not that these are bad things, but it's often the good things that cause us to fall in love with the world. These good things that that can choke out our affections for Jesus. And so this is where Paul, he, he reorients us to reality. Through reminding us of where we belong. Because the gospel tells us something better awaits. Paul says, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. The the, the joys of this world cannot compare with the joys of the world to come. I mean, think about how fleeting worldly joy is. Um, As soon as you come back from a holiday, you're busy planning your next holiday. Um, After tasting a delicious meal, you're hungry again in in three hours, or in in, in my case, just one hour, hungry again. Um, C.S. Lewis says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Uh, Like a child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what's meant by a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Uh, at 19 years old, uh, Jonathan Edwards, he, he made the following New Year's resolution. Uh, he said, Resolve to endeavour to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. With all power, might, vigour, violence... I am capable of. That is a seriously mature 19-year-old. I mean, who thinks like this? But but where we make resolutions, often we think, uh, I want to get healthier, happier, improve my fitness, improve the quality of living. But for Edwards, there's something much more valuable to we'll pursue next year. He wants to obtain as much happiness as he can in the other world because that's where we belong. And as we... Next year, as we experience the surpassing worth of Jesus, it it means it's okay if we lose out on earthly joys now. And it's often, as we miss out on things now, it reminds us of where we really belong. Uh, You'll notice that in each of these threats to our joy in 2024, uh, these enemies of self-righteousness and complacency and worldliness, they're, they're not external threats. They are internal. Uh, But notice that throughout this passage, Paul's solution to each of these enemies is the same. Uh, Throughout this passage, Paul is concerned with our our vision. Um, He starts by saying, look out. He warns us against those who have their minds set on earthly things. But ultimately here, Paul calls us to fix our vision all the way to the end. Uh, in verse 11, it's, it's on the resurrection. Verse 14, it's this prize at the end of the race. In verse 21, it's the transformation of our bodies when Jesus comes again. See, in one sense, we have no idea what 2024 will be like. Um, your 2024 might be marked with great success, um, amazing things to celebrate, new relationships and, and friendships to enjoy. Or, your 2024 might be marked with loss and grief by unexpected failures by disappointments and suffering but Paul's vision for joy here is far more secure than the uncertainty of every year his vision here is a certain and better future that everyone can share in who believes in Jesus Because because regardless of how our year is, ultimately each year is bringing us a step closer to meeting Jesus face to face. The good news is Jesus is coming for you. He's coming to give you a prize, to transform your bodies, to bring us into a new world where all the struggles and sorrows of this life will cease. And it's actually, as we look into the future, it puts everything now into its rightful place. Um, our achievements and worldly pleasures won't consume us. Our failures and disappointments won't destroy us. And so we trust that God will use all that happens in 2024, the good and the bad, for the pursuit of joy that matters most, to experience the surpassing worth of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus who lived the life we couldn't live, who died the death we deserve to die to give us the righteousness we could not earn. And Lord, we pray in 2024 that we would experience the surpassing worth of Jesus. Help us to look beyond the lesser joys of this world. Would we press on to the goal for the prize of being with Jesus until we see him face to face? Come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amén.